Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, let's waste no time and jump right into it. So in the last episode, we established that homosexuality is a sin as it's presented in the Bible and that any true church or true practicing Christian should consider it a sin, but how do we react to it on a personal level? How do we react to it on a relational level? What does this mean for us when it comes to acceptance of those who identify as such? Well, first and foremost, it means we have to be compassionate on both sides of the argument. We have to be compassionate if we are a Christian and have a family member who has recently come out as homosexual, and we have to be compassionate if we are ourselves identifying as a homosexual. It's a big conversation, and it's also an equally big moment. I'm sure, like me, uh, many of you have had a friend or a family member who has come out as gay or has come out as identifying as something that they previously were not living as. And perhaps even for some of you, you yourself have had that moment where you come out as gay. It was as if you were in the eye of a hurricane, and that everything before that moment was stormy and was chaotic because you were just trying to figure out who you were, why you had the emotions you have, why you had the attractions you have. And then there's a light bulb moment and you realize, I'm gay or I identify as such, and, and you're in the eye of the hurricane, right? That It's that calm in the middle of the storm, but you realize the storm is still moving, and as soon as you come out, as soon as you say those words to other people in your family or, or your friends, it's going to be stormy again. It's going to be a different kind of storm, but it's going to be stormy again. Well, whether you're in the eye of the hurricane or not, or, or you're years and years past that moment, the moment I'm talking about is the moment where you say, can I be a Christian and be gay? Or what does this mean? The fact that I am gay or the fact that I do identify as something that I am not currently. What does this mean for my faith? Can I still have faith? Am I going to go to hell? Does God love me? Do Christians love me? What does this mean? Well, that's the topic I want to cover in this episode. And I will throw in a caveat that I have never had that moment personally. I have never experienced same-sex attraction, and I have never experienced a moment where I have felt that I identify as something other than a male, which I am. But I do believe, though I cannot directly empathize with what it's like to have those feelings, I do believe that there is an answer we can find in Scripture. And so let's break down what we're really asking here, right? We're asking, can I be a Christian? Can I still go to church with my family or my friends or fill in the blank? Can I still practice the religious sacraments of Christianity and be accepted for who I am, right? At, at the core of it, there's an acceptance for who you are that, that is at stake here. So what about heaven and hell? As we've talked about already in various episodes of this podcast, and as I'll go over here again as a refresher, heaven biblically can be defined as the relationship between man and God fully restored. Heaven 
is a place. It's a very real place. But what defines the place, what makes heaven heaven, is that we will walk one day again with our creator. We will walk in perfect communion and fellowship with God, our creator. And as I previously mentioned, God gave us marriage as a foreshadow of that. It's God's institution so that we could know him more. It's not something he gave us as a blessing simply to make us happier. If happiness comes out of marriage, that's great. And it's a byproduct of that. But marriage is God's invention and it's God's intention in marriage that we would not only look more like Christ, but also be closer to Christ, having received the blessing of marriage and having walked through it. We can therefore logically and biblically define hell as being absent of God's presence. Hell is the place where you uh, are forever separated from God for the rest of eternity and there is no reconciliation. Yes, hell is a place, but that's the defining characteristic of hell. That's the thirst and the agonizing flame is being in a place where we are completely void of God's presence. And currently we don't know that because we are not completely void of God's presence here on earth. And perhaps at a later time I can do an episode on heaven and hell and, and, and what these mean. But suffice it to say that it's no coincidence that heaven and hell and marriage are all defined in relational terms in the Bible. We are designed for relationships. We are designed to love and to be loved, to know and to be known, to be accepted and to accept. And we mustn't forget, even though we live in the day and age in which we live and everything is so divisive today. I'm not sure if you've noticed that, but I've noticed that, how just absolutely divisive our culture is, divisive social media is, divisive just any kind of media is being in our day and age. All day long, we're saying to one another, if you agree with me, you're with me. And if you disagree with me, you're with them. And perhaps you're listening to this podcast at a later date and culture is not like that, in which case I envy you. But currently, it is very divisive because we've lost a differentiation between what it means to accept someone and to agree with someone. And there must be a differentiation there. To accept someone is to value them as a person, regardless of whether or not you disagree with them. And to agree with someone is simply that, is to agree with them, is to share a common belief or ideology with that person. And as the old saying goes, if two people completely agree on everything, one of them isn't thinking. And that may be the place we need to start the conversation at. Again, whether you yourself identify as homosexual or you know someone who identifies as homosexual, both the heterosexual Christian and the person who identifies as homosexual must have a common understanding that they accept one another, though they don't agree with one another. And then and only then can we actually have the conversation on what homosexuality means as a sin, what homosexuality means to God, and what homosexuality should mean to the church. So does God accept someone who is homosexual? For an in-depth answer at what the acceptance of God looks like, I'm going to refer you back to my podcast episode titled What Makes Christianity So Unique, where I really dive into the gospel and explain it and show, as I mentioned last time, that God can accept no sinner as they are. We all must receive the forgiveness and redemption that comes through Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. Only then can God accept us. It's in Christ that God accepts us. And as I've mentioned before, he accepts us into a relationship with him. But let's pause just for a minute and think about what that actually means when we say relationship. 
Most, if not all of us, are or have been involved in some sort of relationship, whether it be a romantic relationship or a friendship or even just a family-type relationship. And in relationships, whether we say it or it's just a subconscious understanding between two of us in relationships, there is an agreement we have. And that agreement is, in this relationship, I want you to accept me for me. I want you to accept me as I am. And I'll accept you as you are. And we'll go through life together, and we'll grow together, and we'll change together. And like I said, that's for any relationship. That's a friendship, that's a family relationship, and that is romantic relationships as well. Or at least that's how romantic relationships should be. There's an aspect in which the relationship changes you, but doesn't destroy your identity. And there's an aspect in which you change the other person in their relationship without destroying or removing their identity. And the same is true between our relationship with God. There's an aspect to which we changed God, but we didn't remove his identity. And that is what we theologically call the incarnation. You see, God stepped out of heaven and became man. He became finite. He became hungry. He became tired. He became homeless. He became hurtable. He endured physical and emotional and mental pain. And then he who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us. And he died on a cross so that he could accept us where we are at. Because prior to that, he could not accept us as we were in our sinful condition. But a relationship takes two to work. And the natural progression, once someone becomes a Christian and they accept the gospel, they accept the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is then followed by another theological term that we call sanctification. And that's the process of looking more like Christ, of acting more like Christ, of having a heart that's closer to his heart. And this makes sense in relationships. When you think of the, the two people who have been BFFs for their entire life, after a certain amount of time, be it 10, 20, or even 30 years, they're finishing each other's sentences. They know what the other one likes and dislikes and what they're thinking. When, when you think of two people who have been married for 30 or 40 years, it's the same thing. They're finishing each other's sentences. They know what thoughts they have. They know the likes. They know the dislikes. And that's what the commands in the Bible are for, and that's what this sanctification or purification that we talk about is for, is it's how we get to know God. It's how we get to know his likes and dislikes because he tells us them. He tells us through commandments, and commandments aren't orders. He's barking at us because I do realize commandment almost has a negative connotation in our day and age. But think of it this way. It's God telling us his likes and dislikes. It's God telling us how we can best love him. It's like in a relationship when someone says, you can show me you love me by buying me flowers and chocolates. Well, in the Bible, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But like any romantic relationship, God doesn't want us to cheat on him or to beat him into submission and tell him, we don't like you the way you are. You need to change everything about you. And I would like to clarify and say that it's theologically incorrect to say God changes. The incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection is a sacrifice that God makes. And perhaps sacrifice is the more appropriate term in a relationship. But I use the word change because I don't want you to think that you have to sacrifice who you are. You can be gay and be Christian. You just have to sacrifice where God asks you to. In other words, a relationship with God requires that where he commands, we deny ourselves to accept him the way he is because he is Lord. He is commander. We are sinner in need of redemption. And so the question is better put, not does God accept you? The gospel already tells you God accepts you just the way you are. 
But given that acceptance and given that love, are you willing to accept him just the way he is? As all-powerful, all-knowing Lord, commander over your life. And this does mean you will have to deny your sexual desires, but take comfort and know that this is not unique to homosexuals. This is not unique to anyone in the LGBTQIA community or to heterosexuals. The Bible says we all need to deny our sexual desires. Just because you're heterosexual doesn't mean you get a pass to live life however you want. Doesn't mean that God says, oh, you're heterosexual. Sleep with as many people of the opposite gender as you want. Oh, you're heterosexual. Cheat on your spouse. The Bible commands all people to deny themselves their sexual urges because this sexual and erotic expression of love we have is the most powerful expression of love we have. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, talks about eros, uh, which is where we get our word erotic from. Uh, it's the physical expression of love. And he said that eros is the more striking love. Because of its strength, sweetness, terror, and high port, it reveals love's true status. However, eros cannot remain eros without help. Therefore, it must be ruled. And I do truly believe that it's God's hope that in the ruling of our eros, and it doesn't matter your sexual orientation. We all need to control eros. We need to control our sexual desires and our sexual temptations. But I do believe that it's God's hope that when we do that, we'll experience the right kind of identity crisis. As I mentioned before, in that moment where you come out as homosexual, or if you know someone that comes out as, as homosexual, it's, it's like being in a hurricane. But it could just be that in the divisive and sex-crazed, sex-obsessed culture that we live in, that culture, that this world, doesn't ever want you to get out of the hurricane. Because unfortunately, so much of the LGBTQIA community defines its members not by who they are, but by their sexual orientation. And there are damaging effects we see by this, and, and I don't think that an identity completely defined by sexual orientation and the statistics I'm about to list are completely distinct from each other. I think that there is a correlation here. But according to the CDC, LGBTQ individuals, and I quote, are more than twice as likely as heterosexual men and women to have mental health disorders in their lifetime, speaking, of course, of depression and anxiety. Again, I quote, LGBTQ individuals are 2.5 times more likely to experience substance misuse as a result of depression and anxiety compared with heterosexual individuals. Women who identify as lesbian or bisexual are more than twice as likely to engage in heavy alcohol drinking as heterosexual women. And those who identify as transgender are 15 times more likely to attempt suicide than those who are heterosexual. And this is why this conversation demands so much compassion. There are struggles, very, very real struggles that the LGBTQIA community goes through. But I'm here to tell you as a Christian, if you're in that community, if you're struggling with any of that stuff, even if you're heterosexual and you're struggling with identity or depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts, you are more than your sexual orientation. And you are more than the romantic relationships that you've gotten yourself into, that you're currently in, or that you will get into in the future. And how can I say that? Because the Bible says you are made in God's image. That's right. The most beautiful perfect and lovely being in all of existence, you kind of look like him on the inside. And only by denying your sinful nature, 
my sinful nature, only when we deny ourselves can we see that clearly. You see, the last aspect of relationships is that relationships help give us a sense of identity, help give us a sense of meaning and purpose in this world. And a relationship with another human being does that in part, but not in full. It will always leave us wanting more. There will always be a temptation to cheat. There will always be a temptation to try another human being and another human being and another human being because there's an emptiness within that is not satisfied in any kind of relationship, be it a heterosexual or a homosexual relationship. It's not fully satisfied. That satisfaction of having an identity through a relationship that is completely and totally satisfied comes from a relationship with the perfect and infinite person, which is God himself. That's the only place we can get an identity that says you're more than your sexual orientation, you're more than your career, you're more than your political views, you're more than what you wear, what you drive, where you live, how you eat, or how you look. You're precious and altogether wonderful in the eyes of God, your creator. And he wants to be in a relationship with you, but you gotta deny yourself. Pick up a cross and follow him. And we all have to do that. Regardless of what different sins you may have than I have, we all are called to deny ourselves our sinful desires and to pick up a cross, follow him, and discover our true identity and our true acceptance. And as I've mentioned before, this doesn't require conformity. Not every desire has to be given up. Do you have a desire to paint? paint for the glory of God. Do you have a desire to practice medicine? Practice medicine for the glory of God. Do you have a desire to engineer? Engineer for the glory of God. Do you have a desire to act or, I don't know, to fly a hot air balloon? Act or fly a hot air balloon for the glory of God. God made you who you are on purpose with everything in your heart, every desire. Some desires he wants you to act on for the glory of God and some desires he wants you to deny for the glory of God. He made us all that way, even though our desires, both the ones we must deny and the ones we must act on, are different. And the other point I'd like to talk about is acceptance in the church or acceptance in the community of those who call themselves Christians and call themselves believers. You know, after I put out the part one of this little episode series, I had a conversation with a listener. And the listener shared with me about a family member uh, who is 17 years old, and that family member had just come out as homosexual and the listener was telling me that their family is very conservative and very religious and they'll struggle with it but this listener was wanting to be supportive inclusive and open to use their words but was very interested to hear what i had to say about acceptance in the christian community and again as i mentioned earlier acceptance and agreement are two very different things but we do have to recognize that our culture doesn't see them as such and we also have to realize how much of a kind of hot-button issue homosexuality is as opposed to other sins. Even in the recording of the podcast, it felt a little funny to do a two-part episode series on a single sin where I know I'm not going to give other sins nearly as much attention. And honestly, I might even record more episodes on this very topic. But why am I not giving gossip and lying this much attention as opposed to homosexuality? Well, I would also submit to you, as a consideration, the way sex sells, as it were, in our current culture. The way that sex and sexual orientation are so much more talked about and portrayed in the media than so many other, even lifestyles, than, than, than so many other even decisions that we make. 
depending on what media sources or, or social media accounts you have, you might even hear more about sexual orientation in a given day than you will about climate change. And this isn't even relatively new. When Paul wrote about homosexuality being a sin in, in Romans, he wrote that into a culture that was very well acquainted with Plato's Symposium, in which Plato uh, wrote that a committed homosexual uh, relationship between two homosexual lovers was more enlightened than a committed heterosexual relationship between two heterosexual lovers because the gods had blessed them with a unique understanding of sexuality and gender. And keep in mind, Plato wrote this a couple hundred years before Paul wrote his letters. So it's not like Paul was speaking anything shocking or new to this culture, but Paul had Jesus in mind, not only in the subject, but in every single thing he wrote. And that is the call to every Christian, to keep Jesus in mind. Gay or straight, we need to keep Jesus in mind in our obedience and constantly be evaluating that. But there's also an interesting thing we see with Jesus, and that is that he had an unwavering, steadfast commitment to the truth, and yet an unrelenting compassion, gentleness, and love to him. This Jesus gave a sermon on a mount where he said, if you even think a lustful thought, you're sinning. If you even think a bitter thought, you're in sin. And then this Jesus healed Romans, whom the Jews hated. And this Jesus forgave a woman caught in adultery. All of that without compromising truth. All of that without agreeing to the sins that they committed. And that's the line that we must walk. Though it is a struggle. Even Paul struggled with it. See Romans chapter 7. And that's because Jesus is perfect and we're all imperfect, so we can never fully represent him. I'll be honest, I lack both compassion and truth more times than I'd like to admit. But nevertheless, we must continue to strive towards that kind of character. And I know we're out of time, but if you'll bear with me for just a couple moments more, I'd like to touch back on the subject of Eros that I brought up earlier on in this podcast and its place in the life of someone with homosexual desires. C.S. Lewis breaks out the principle that it must be controlled, as I already said. And luckily for us, God lays out rules on controlling the eros, for it is a very powerful love. It is not the essence of romantic love, but it is the physical expression of romantic love. And the most wonderful principle C.S. Lewis brings up about eros is that a proper Christian view of eros, of passionate physical love, compares it to a desire for gourmet food and then elevates it. Because a desire for gourmet food, as amazing of a gift it is, because we all have to eat food to survive, and yet we have desires for really, really tasty gourmet food. Think of the best sushi you've ever had, and if you don't like sushi, well, I'll pray for you. And yet, God's desire for our fulfillment of eros doesn't even compare with him giving us this gift of loving gourmet food. We need food to survive just like we as a human species need physical expression of love to survive, but the fact that we have this desire for gourmet food is such a blessing that God has also provided the gourmet food, and the fact that we have desire for eros, again, you can compare it to that desire for gourmet food, but it blows it out of the water that God would give us this blessing to desire a physical expression of our love. It is a great and great and powerful blessing and that's why it must be controlled. And so if you're gay and you want to be a Christian and you're wondering, will I ever find love in a romantic relationship with another person? I'm sorry, but I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that God is good. 
And that whether the answer is yes or no, I do know that a friendship with that good God brings peace about whatever the answer is. But let me know what you think. I don't think this is going to be the last episode I'm going to do on this subject, so let's continue the conversation about it. And as always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show.